Good evening to you, and we'll be starting out this evening with a couple of Bible readings. John chapter 4, and then we're going to jump back to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to stand just as close to you as I can because I need your energy. So as you are energetic during our time of study, then that's going to feed into me, and we're going to have a good study together. John 4, we're going to be beginning in verse 31, and then we'll jump back to Mark 4 and read uh, 21. John 4, beginning in verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has any brought him something to eat? Jesus said, My food... It is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields, that they are white already unto harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into uh, their labor. Now over to Mark chapter uh, 4, beginning in verse 21. Mark 4. Mark chapter 4, verse... in verse 21. Here we go. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp, Mark 4, 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret, secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts forth the sickle because the harvest has come. So following up from this morning's emphasis on trying to be real attentive and personal about other people's souls, I'd like for us to look at five ingredients, five ingredients that can help us to be better soul winners. Five ingredients that can help us to be better soul winners. Each of these ingredients starts with the letter P, so hopefully it'll be real easy uh, to remember. I appreciate very much already much of the work that has been put in toward this week's uh, fall festival, and our prayers are already 
going up for uh, this event. And uh, many of you will be contacting people this week and telling them about our special weekend plan uh, for this coming weekend. The first ingredient I'd like to mention to us is the ingredient of passion. 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 Remember this morning we was talking about the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. If you look right here in Mark 4, Jesus' words in verse 13. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Talking about the parable of the sower. How then will you understand all the parables? That's what we were saying this morning. This parable is key. This story is key to understanding so much of what Jesus has to say uh, to us. And we emphasize the Savior, and we emphasize the seed, and uh, the soil, and especially the sower. The sower. Over in Matthew, Matthew's account, Matthew 13, 18, Jesus said to his disciples, hear about the parable of the sower. So Jesus titles this story, the parable of the sower, not the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed, but he wants to emphasize the one doing the sowing. Now look right here in Mark 4, what we just read, verse 21. It seems that Mark is wanting to emphasize the activity of the sower. Because in verse 21 he says, he asked the question, Is a lamp brought in and put under a basket? Or under a bed, or is it put on a stand? Of course, the answer to that is it's put on a stand. And so it seems that the emphasis here from Jesus is get busy with your sowing. You need to be sowing. The the soil is not going to come to the seed. And all the seed in the world is not going to take take itself out to the soil. There must be a sower. And Jesus has no plan B. We are the sowers. We must be sowing the seed. In Matthew's account, Matthew 13, verse 3, Jesus starts his story by saying, The sower went out to sow. That's how it begins. The sower went out to sow. And so the first ingredient is passion. Is passion. We don't know what people are thinking. We don't know the circumstances in their lives. But we know that all of us need. We're all sinners And all of us need the seed of the kingdom. All of us need the gospel. We must scatter this far and wide. The equation is pretty simple. Scatter as much seed as you can, for as long as you can, in as many places as you can, and at some point, somehow, there will will be fruit that will be born uh, because of the Lord and our efforts. So passion is the first ingredient. Think about how that Jesus declared passion. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So just from the declarations that Jesus made, we see that we're to be, we're to be passionate. Notice his words in John 9 verse 4. We must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. So he wants us to be passionate. When you think about the design of the Bible, you know that we've got to be passionate people. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, Every scripture is inspired of God and it is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Notice this, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, thoroughly furnished, completely furnished unto all good works. God wants us to be, to be passionate. He designed the church this way. He says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10 that the church has been created, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The entire purpose of Jesus bringing us out of our sin into the body of Christ is for us to be passionate about good works. And so the first ingredient is passion. The second is patience. Patience. There is a progressive nature about the gospel, about teaching the gospel and about learning the gospel. You see it here in Mark's account. Notice it again in Mark 4, 26, as Jesus gives what you can call a, a follow-up parable to the parable of the sower. He says the kingdom of God, Mark 4, 26, is as a man should, should scatter seed on the ground. What does he do? He sleeps, he rises night and day. Notice the time and the patience it takes. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. Notice this. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. This can be parallel to someone learning the gospel. Okay. First, faith must be developed. Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. First, faith must be developed. Uh, Jesus says in John 8 and 24, except you believe that I am he, uh, you shall die in your sins. Faith must first be developed. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, the writer says, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. And so we must first have faith. That's the way John describes his gospel in John 20, 30, and 31, where Jesus, uh, where it's summed up about Jesus, that many other signs he truly did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So it starts with belief, you see. And then it moves from there to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repent, Romans 2, verse 4. And from there, a person's faith grows toward you know, conviction, conviction, where he's learning about the Lord, he's beginning to believe in the Lord, and he sees that there are definitely some things that are wrong that he needs to turn from and keep them out of his life. But then that becomes fuller and fuller, and now he's at the point of conviction, that's why Jesus says in Matthew 10 and 32, whoever is willing to confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever would deny me before, before men, him will I, will I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Okay. But that's how faith grows. Faith grows to, to absolute conviction. And then he says here in Mark 4 and 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle forth, 
and the harvest has come. He's ready to bring the fruit in. And that can be parallel to, to someone coming into the kingdom through uh, baptism. You know, Jesus talking to Nicodemus there in John 3, he said, if you're born of water and the Spirit, then the Lord uh, puts you into His kingdom. Okay? Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, uh, you cannot enter into the kingdom. But if you are, then there you are. Okay? And so we see here the need for patience. There's no substitute for God's process. It is progressive in nature. We know what we mean by progressive, don't we? We have sometimes, for fun, we'll have a progressive dinner. where We go to one house and have, and have appetizers and go to the next house and have more of a full meal and then at the third house we're there for dessert. Progressive dinner. Well, that's the way the gospel is taught and learned. Okay, a piece at a time from one level uh, to the next. Notice the words of Jesus right here in Mark 4, 24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, think about what you're hearing. And then the effort you put forth there means that you will learn about that. And then you'll be able to add to what you've learned. And then you'll keep on in that process. And then more will be added to you. And then you're able to grow. Just like a seed grows uh, from the ground and produces a plant and then the fruit And so as we hear, and we're intent on hearing, and we're paying attention to what we're hearing, and we're learning as we're hearing, then the Lord will help us to learn, and then he will add to our learning. It's just progressive. So what we need in uh, reaching each other with the gospel, and in teaching the gospel and reaching others, we've got to have patience. We've got to have patience. Think about how patient Jesus was with his disciples. He would look to them and, and say, like he did in John 14, he, he said, have I been you, with you this long and still you don't know that I'm from the Father? He that has seen me has seen the Father. I've been with you all this time and you still don't know. This is John 14. This is Jesus just about to be arrested. You know, this was at the time of the cross. Jesus has been with them now over three years. And you can see... That, that he had to have a lot of patience uh, with them. He says in John 16, verse 12, to his disciples, I have many things to say to you. Now, how long have you been, been in the church? How long have you been worshiping the Lord faithfully? You have many things to say, don't you? Because of your knowledge of Scripture and because of what you see going on in the world, you could say the same thing. I have many things to say. But we can't say it all in one big blob. Okay. That's not the way the gospel is. That's not God's process. Okay. We learn a little and then we add to that. And then we learn more and we add to that. And then we pile it up. Before long, our faith is growing. 
But there's no substitute for this process. Jesus there in John 16 verse 12 said to his disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Not just his disciples, but that's all of us. Okay. That's why we grow up. That's, that's why we teach children as we teach them. And then we, we progress in that teaching as they grow up. And it's the same way as we are learning the gospel. There's one aggravating word, and that's, that's time. Time. It takes time. That's hard for our society today. That's, that's a difficult word because we're, we're so, we expect things in an instantaneous way. But we can't do that to the gospel. We can't do that with the gospel. It's not the way God has set it up. It's not the way God has, has created us. Now, there is an urgency. We heard the words of Jesus just a few minutes ago, John 9, verse 4. We must work the works of Him that sent, sent me while it's day. Right now it's day. There is an urgency. But the urgency is getting, helping others get started in the gospel. And then the urgency to follow up on, on helping them to learn and for all of us to learn. The urgency is to get started and then continue in that growth. But we cannot skip steps. We can't do it. We can't do it. We violate God. We displease Him if we try to do that. In Acts chapter 18, verse 4, we see Paul in Corinth. And he's going there. He and his uh, co-workers are going into the Sabbath, going into the synagogue every Sabbath. And I believe if you skip down to Acts 18, verse 11, you see that they were there for, for over a year and a half, doing that same thing every time. Every Sabbath, going into the synagogue. Okay, now, they're worshiping the Lord on the first day of the week. Okay. But they're going to the synagogue to teach people. Okay. Look at the time they're putting in. See, So it takes patience. patience. So one ingredient is passion. second ingredient... Uh, is patience. A third ingredient is participating with other people. It's one of my favorite ingredients. Participating with other people. Did you notice that reading from John 4 where Jesus was talking about yet four months and the harvest comes and He was saying to His disciples, look, we've got a harvest coming right now. Look out onto the fields. Look at the Samaritans. Okay. His disciples were, were so nearsighted. They were just focusing on food, the next meal, the, the next thing that they're going to do. But he's wanting them to see the souls around them. Okay. And then he says, notice the wonderful cooperative labor between people. One sows, another reaps, and they both rejoice together. That's the way it is. I have been blessed and I think you could say the same thing. I have been extremely blessed in my life because I know I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of great people who have gone before me right here at this congregation for sure, all around in my family for sure, who have plowed a lot of ground before me, and I am enjoying the, their labors. I have entered into their labors. It has been so much easier for me 
to learn the gospel and to share it because I have so many who have done the hard work before me. One sows, another reaps, and we rejoice together. And that's the way it is in sharing the gospel. And the Lord wants us to remember that that's an important important ingredient. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, he says, um, Being therefore workers together with God, let us not receive the grace of God in vain. But notice, notice his statement. We are workers together with God. I can't think of a, a, a more simple phrase to describe the church than that. We are workers together with God. We participate with each other. And that is to bring a great unity to us. In fact, one of the great ways of maintaining unity is through spiritual activity. And there's two big spiritual activities for the church. There's worship and work. And as much as that is going on, then unity will be maintained. We've all heard it uh, described that a rope is strong because all the strands of the rope are pulling uh, together. A mound of snow becomes hardened because each snowflake contributes to the density of that mound. And I'm You've, you've experienced that. A mound of snow gets really, really packed and hard. Okay. But that's because each little snowflake, snowflake is contributing to uh, that pile, which becomes very, very hardened and unified and bonded uh, together. And so it is when we realize that we are participating in this work with other people. Right here in John 4 where Jesus is talking to his disciples, he is working in Samaria. Okay. And he's having tremendous response. And the lady at Jacob's well is also helping in this. And she's going to people and saying, come see a man who told me all things I've ever done. Isn't this the Christ? Cannot this be the Christ? Come see this man. She's helping a lot. They're coming out of their villages. But you know what's happening here? They're laying groundwork for something that happens later, we read about in Acts 8, when the Lord sends Philip to Samaria. And Philip comes in there preaching the gospel. And he's talking to them, according to Acts 8, 11 and 12, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God and the authority and name of Jesus. And many of both men and women were baptized. We are definitely sure because of the initial work that Jesus did there in Samaria and that, and that lady there at Jacob's well, the work they did together laid the groundwork for uh, more great things to happen later on, several years later. Okay. So participating together and uh, thinking about that and knowing about that is a third uh, important ingredient. I'd like for us to read one passage here. <clears throat> we won't go to all of them. But in 2 Corinthians uh, 7, it's a little verse that we do not read often. But this is Paul's second letter, at least, 
to the Corinthians and he has instructed them and he is explaining himself uh, to them, beginning in verse 2, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2. I, I just love the way Paul writes here. He says, make a room in your heart, hearts for us. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are our hearts to die together and to live together. If I had a prayer, one prayer I was going to pray for every one of us here in this church family is to be able to say those very words as Paul said them to each other. He has told them before, you are in our hearts and we will die together and we will live together. We're in this together. We're in this together is what he's saying. Many years ago in, in, in our area, you could hold a gospel meeting. And you hear a good lesson and you'd have many people coming forward. What's the difference? One of the differences, and there are many differences in society since then, but one thing that was happening was that Bible study was not, was not taking place just when people came together. Usually by the time the church assembled, Members have been studying with their friends and neighbors and family members to such an extent that by the time they got to church and heard a sermon there, they were already at the tipping point. They were already, they have already grown in their faith. And they were ready to hear a good lesson and then that would put them over the top, as, as it were, and they would obey the gospel. The groundwork had been done because people were studying and fellowshipping and and learning together. And that's what it takes, participating uh, together. A fourth ingredient is to believe in the providence of God. A fourth ingredient is to believe in the providence of God. In our efforts, God is either with us, or He's against us, or He's indifferent. What is it? Which is it? He's either with us, He's against us, or he's just indifferent. He don't care which of those is true. Of course, it's the first one. Jesus promises in Matthew 28 and verse 20 that he will be with us always, even all the way to the end of our lives, end of the world, end of the ages. He will be uh, with us. God is with us. John 7, 17 has this promise. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the teaching whether I speak of myself or whether I speak from the Father. He shall know. He shall know. To believe in the providence of God. As the Apostle Paul says these familiar words, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and what's the next statement? 
God gave the increase. We believe in the providence of God. You remember Jesus giving another parable called the parable of the mustard seed. I think it's like Matthew 13, 31. The idea on this seed that though it's one of the smallest of all the agricultural seeds, yet it yields a tremendous plant. It's one of the biggest in the garden. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. How is that? Well, because there would have been so many reasons for the cause of Jesus to just vanish from the human standpoint. Jesus died in the prime of his life. He was born to a very poor family in a very poor condition. He was born in 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 a manger. Okay, around animals. Okay. The men that he chose to be with him to help carry the gospel were not educated men. They were honest men. Some of them even had some checkered backgrounds. Okay. But the men he surrounded himself with were not, were not the top echelon of society, but yet his, his movement... His church, his kingdom, just took off with a great deal of firestorm there in the book of Acts. How is that possible? Of course, it's the providence of God. We believe. What does God provide? God provides the truth. John 8, 32. God provides the soul. The soul. He makes us all in His image. John 7, 17 said there, Jesus said, If any man wills to do His will, who who put that desire in us to, to, to know the truth and to want to be right in a religious, spiritual way? God put that in us. So He gave us a soul and He gives us opportunities. When Paul spoke... In his letter to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9 and 10, he said a great and effectual door had been opened up to him. God opens doors. He provides the opportunity. He provides the truth, the seed of the gospel. He provides the desire within people. He provides the open doors, the opportunities. And then the fifth ingredient is prayer. Prayer. Passion, patience, participating with others, strong belief in the providence of God, and then prayer. Prayer. The apostles announced, Acts 6 and verse 4, that we must continue in the ministry of the word and prayer. And prayer. If the Lord is going to be with us, and our sowing the seed, we must salt everything. Is that what you do? I do. I, as many things as I can, I salt. If I'm eating oatmeal, I've got salt. If I'm doing scrambled eggs, salt. Especially if I'm eating watermelon, salt it. Salt it. Okay. Delicious. We've got to salt everything that we think, every effort that we make, We've got to cover it with prayer because we believe in the Lord. 
So I hope these, these ingredients will be helpful to us. We will go ahead and close up uh, this evening and be able to get to our group meetings here in just a moment. It might be that you want to take this opportunity of fellowship and worship this evening to come back home to God. Perhaps there is a fault in your life that only you and God know. Perhaps you want to have more strength in overcoming this fault. And, of course, that's why we're all here together as God's family. Be glad to pray. You know, James 5, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. We do that because we love one another. It might be that you're ready to obey the gospel, put Jesus on in baptism. Whatever your spiritual need may be this evening. Will you please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother James?